Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 771 for the 3rd of December, 2021. This week, Exposure X7 comes with several new ways to create and modify masks. Although that is clearly the most important enhancement in this version, there's lots more to like. In short circuits, macros help computer users perform tasks easily and accurately from complex activities that involve multiple applications to simply replacing what are essentially abbreviations with much longer sections of text. The Vivaldi web browser continues to add customizations that make it even more versatile. We'll take a look. In spare parts, only on the website, the old GM plant at Lordstown, Ohio, is being sold to Foxconn. That's the company that manufactures iPhones. The goal is still to build electric trucks there. Adobe's most recent acquisition, Frame.io, is expected to speed the development of videos by providing cloud-based collaborative editing. And 20 years ago, Apple announced the iPod in October and started selling them in November. Ten years later, they sold the 100 millionth device, and they're still selling iPods today. Regardless of your opinion of masks for people, photographers will appreciate the masking improvements Exposure Software has added to version X7. There are other worthwhile updates too, a lot of them, and I'll start with those. Let's start with the fact that Exposure still functions as a plug-in for Lightroom Classic and Photoshop. That's no surprise, because the company, then known as Alien Skin, began creating plugins for Photoshop in 1993. With the advent of Lightroom, which is now called Lightroom Classic, Adobe began mimicking some of Alien Skin's features. Alien Skin gave Exposure features for organizing photos as a standalone application, but continues the option to run it as a plugin. This could be important for someone who has tens of thousands of images in Lightroom Classic, even though Exposure X7 can read the information from files that have been modified by the Adobe product. Even so, someone who has worked out specific workflows over the years with Adobe applications might prefer to keep those workflows while still using Exposure's features. Those who choose to run Exposure X7 as the primary photo organization and editing tool will also find an option to send a photo that's open in Exposure to Photoshop for further modification. There is no option to send an image from Exposure to Lightroom Classic, nor should there be. When Exposure starts for the first time, it examines your computer. If the graphics processing unit, or GPU, is adequate, most of the graphics processing can be offloaded from the CPU for faster operation. Exposure has a lot of panels that hold tools designed for specific operations. These are arranged into four primary default workspaces, one called defaults with every tool present, culling, editing, and retouching. 
Culling displays the smallest number of tools because during the culling phase, you'll simply be examining images, comparing them, and deciding which ones you want to work with, but you won't be doing any cropping color correction or styling. Then you move on to the editing workspace to make basic changes, and then to the specialized retouching workspace for final modifications. Tools and image displays can be distributed to secondary monitors, too. Those who need specialized workspaces with a different selection of tools or an arrangement that differs from the default can quickly create and name one. Exposure doesn't create a catalog. This makes the process of switching between editing mode and image review as easy as pressing the escape key during edits and double-clicking a thumbnail image to open it in edit mode. But it also means that Exposure must create sidecar files with information that is mostly not human-readable, except for information about the camera and lens used to create the image, that's a small section at the top of the sidecar file, and exchangeable image file, or EXIF, data near the end of the file. All of the other information about edits that have been applied to the image is unreadable by humans. Adobe's catalog files are also not human-readable, so this really isn't a big disadvantage, but the sidecar files are saved in an exposure software directory below the directory that contains your images. It's important if you move an image to a new location on the disk drive that the sidecar file is moved to. Sidecar files have the same name as the image and a .exposure7 extension. Exposure X7 is easy to work with, and I'll cover some of the basic editing techniques before getting to the new headliner feature, Advanced Masking. So, I'll start with a photo that I took last winter, around dawn. I leaned out of a second-floor window to take the photo with a Sony RX100 Mark VI camera. This camera includes some annoyances that should not be present. The sensor is surprisingly noisy, more so than even the sensor in my Android phone and there's a serious vignetting problem. The noise is virtually impossible to see on the image that you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website, but the vignetting is clearly present. Exposure X7 has camera and lens definitions for a large number of cameras, so the corrections can be made automatically. For lens and camera combinations that Exposure doesn't know about, the user can make corrections manually. So after doing that, the vignette was gone, but I still wanted to improve exposure and color. It is a near-dawn image, so I don't want to lighten the photo so much that it looks like it was taken in full daylight, but I would like to open the shadows a bit and change the color cast to a more natural, slight blue, the kind of light you find that time of day. I also made changes to noise reduction, sharpening, and tone curve settings. You'll see the final image on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and it will never win any awards, but it was never intended to. It's just a wintertime snapshot showing everyday life in Ohio. Exposure's Crop and Transform interface includes composition guides to help users fit images to specific formats. As with all other modifications, cropping is non-destructive. The user can always go back to the full image as it came from the camera. Cropping is the oldest method photographers have used to eliminate unwanted objects from a frame. A photograph that includes an unwanted object near the edge can simply be cropped to eliminate that object. 
Crops can be freeform or limited to certain ratios, such as 8x10 for desk frames, 16x9 to match high-definition TV screens, square, golden spiral, golden triangle, golden ratio, and diagonal. Golden ratio, for example, is also known as the golden mean or golden section. It is less narrow than the 16x9 format, more narrow than the 8x10 format. Some artists and architects consider the golden mean to be aesthetically more pleasing than any other ratio. But the proper crop for any given image depends on the content, so the various standard ratios are offered only as suggestions. Exposure has a spot healing brush, which is intended to eliminate small objects, a pimple on a subject's face, or maybe a beer can floating down a stream. But sometimes it works well for larger imperfections, too. I had a photo from a park near where I live. The image showed people standing on a dock and walking or biking on a trail. But there were also two people with chairs and a dog near the edge of the water. I have nothing against two people near the water or their dog, or their chairs, but they tended to be the focal point of the image, and that's not what I wanted. Cropping would have eliminated more of the background than I wanted to lose, so I tried the spot healing brush expecting utter failure. Well, surprise. It's not perfect, and additional cloning would be essential to get the result I was looking for, but the modification was far better than I expected it to be. You'll see that on the TechBiter Worldwide website, too. So the lesson here is this. Even if you think something won't work, it might be worth giving it a try. Other photo editing applications have attempted to replicate Exposure's film looks, but Exposure has been developing and perfecting these looks for 15 years now, so there's little question that Exposure is the leader. I played a little game with a photograph that I made with a film camera in 1975 when my wife and I visited the Yankee Peddler Festival in northern Ohio. That was the festival's third year. It is still running annually in Canal Fulton. Starting in January, I've scanned approximately 4,000 old film negatives. Several images from the Yankee Peddler Festival depicted costumed Revolutionary War soldiers firing their muskets. Photography didn't exist until the 1800s, but I wondered what it might have looked like if cameras had existed in the 1700s. I used a lot of Exposure's tools to accomplish this. Be sure to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website to see the before and after images. I started by cropping closer because there was an unwanted object near the left edge. Then I adjusted the black point, overall exposure, highlights, and whites. When the color image was as good as I could make it, I switched to black and white mode and then applied film looks. I didn't care for cyanotype. Calotype looked better, and calotype sepia was better still. Then I added some vignetting to darken the corners and done. When I posted the image to Facebook, I described it this way. I don't suppose you'd believe that my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather took this picture of Revolutionary War soldiers. It could be true, except that photography hadn't yet been invented. Perhaps it's needless to say, but the image generated some amusing comments. And there's advanced masking. 
Maybe you wondered when I'd get back to the biggest new feature in Exposure X7. Well, here it is. Exposure allows multiple layers and multiple masks. The combination is quite powerful, but that's not what's new. What's new is improved ways to create masks. Masks make it possible to apply modifications to specific areas of images. Most photo editing programs offer circular or radial masks, linear masks, paint-on masks, and some form of automatic masking based on a combination of color and brightness. And sometimes artificial intelligence gets involved too. A new polygon selection tool accelerates masking by allowing photo editors to draw a rough border around the object. The software then detects the edges and creates its best guess mask. The best guess mask is surprisingly accurate. The selection can be fine-tuned using a combination of other masking tools. The additional masking tools include markers to add or subtract from polygon masks. Markers are simply point selectors that have circular boundaries. And besides being used to modify polygon selections, markers can be used by themselves to create masks by clicking or drawing. Clicks create specific mask components, and drawing generates a mask with a series of overlapping points. Sometimes a linear or radial mask gives the best starting point. You have a lot of choices. And, of course, there's more. Another new feature in Exposure X7 detects and removes what Exposure software calls single-pixel artifacts. These are caused by camera sensor defects. The process is automatic, but the user can adjust the strength of the modifications. Exposure says custom digital color profiles based on specifications for each camera model's sensor improves overall color quality. And although removing noise is generally what photographers seek, sometimes noise reduction leads to images that appear fuzzy. Fine texture noise can be added to recover details that is lost with aggressive noise reduction. So the bottom line here for Exposure X7 is five cats. Whether you use it as a plug-in or standalone, Exposure X7 has a lot going for it. Exposure is no longer just about film looks, and it hasn't been for a long time. So whether you use it as a standalone application or as part of the Lightroom Classic and Photoshop workflow, it's a winner. A fully functional 30-day trial is available from the Exposure website. New users will pay $129, and owners of previous versions can upgrade for $89. Also, if you purchased Exposure X6 on or after the 15th of July this year, the update is free. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, And support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, I use one of my favorite applications many times every day, although I hardly ever open it. Macro Express by Insight Software allows me to perform repetitive and sometimes complex actions with just a few keystrokes. Macro Express is one of four programs from Insight Software, 
and most of my current needs could be served by the least expensive one, short keys, which replaces characters the user types with up to 3,000 other characters. At its most basic mode, Macro Express replaces one set of keystrokes with another, but it can do far more. The functions I use most frequently are date and time related. I put timestamps on many documents, and I want the date and time to be right, formatted properly, and without any spelling errors. So I've created a series of macros that retrieve the system date and time, then type it in for me. I preface the trigger codes with an indicator that tells Macro Express to translate the next set of keys. You'll see a list of the date functions that I use on the TechBiter Worldwide website. A lot of characters can be created by using Alt and the numeric keypad on a Windows computer, but I have trouble remembering that the degree symbol, for example, is Alt 0176. Instead of having to look it up every time I need it, I defined a macro that's triggered when Macro Express notices that I've typed two periods, followed by the three letters DEG. The dual periods are the prefix I mentioned earlier. I've also created macros for sense, copyright, cubed, division, squared, subscript, trademark with the TM, and registered trademark, the R in a circle. In an earlier time, I also used Macro Express to automate complex computer management tasks. These tasks required numerous steps with a variety of applications and utilities. Because of that, Macro Express has been on every Windows computer I've used since eh, sometime in the late 1990s. Although I don't use it very much anymore, I once wrote a macro that was triggered by the word greets. After being triggered, the macro determined what day it is, Monday through Friday, and whether the time was before noon or afternoon. It was limited to weekdays and work hours because I used it only at the office. I had used Google's Translate function to create messages in several languages, and the macro had 10 possible responses from Monday morning through Friday afternoon. Because I was typing the text you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website on the 10th of November, the computer's response to greets on that day would have been Happy Wednesday Afternoon, followed by Happy Wednesday Afternoon in four other languages. Now that is an absurd way to use a program. But co-workers who didn't find the process annoying actually did seem to be amused, at least sometimes. Macro Express Pro can work with the Windows clipboard, minimize and restore windows, create dialog boxes for responses from users, open folders in the File Explorer, read and write files, use file transfer protocol to place or get files, type text, change the status of keyboard keys, perform relatively complex programmatic logic, manipulate the mouse, play audio or video files, manipulate the registry, perform system functions such as restarting the computer, make branching decisions based on factors such as the value of variables or the passage of time, select an application based on several factors, modify the size or position of windows, and a lot more. Insight Software offers short keys, Keyboard Express, Macro Express, and Macro Express Pro at prices ranging from $35 to $70. If you'd like to try one of the programs, download a 30-day trial version. I am a big believer in automating anything that I need to repeat regularly. Macros standardize and goof-proof these activities. You'll find additional details on the Insight Software website 
and a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Vivaldi was one of the best-known composers of the Baroque era, but there's also a web browser named Vivaldi. I've been using it for a few months now, and I am frequently surprised by its ability to be configured so that the browser works exactly the way I want it to. Take tabs, for example. Most browsers put tabs along the top edge. Vivaldi does that, of course, but the tabs can also be placed on the left or right side of the screen, or at the bottom. I like having the tabs on the left because that provides more space for displaying the name. But Vivaldi's developers have also added accordion tabs. These can be used to group related tabs under a single tab location. Previously, Vivaldi had added a translation tool, an email client, calendar, and RSS feed reader. Version 4.1 added command chains. That's essentially an included macro function within the browser. Users can chain together any of Vivaldi's more than 200 browser commands and execute them singly or as a sequence using a single shortcut. Some actions are already defined, including open link in current tab and open link in new window. But users can create their own by clicking the plus button and then selecting actions from the drop-down menus. Once the command chain has been saved, the user can run it by pressing F2 and typing the name of the command. If you'd like to learn more about Vivaldi and specifically the most recent updates on Vivaldi's blog, there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Vivaldi works great with spare parts, but so does any other browser. Point whatever browser you use at the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. The old GM plant at Lordstown, Ohio, is being sold to Foxconn. Foxconn is the company that manufactures iPhones for Apple. The goal is still to build electric trucks there. Adobe's most recent acquisition, Frame.io, is expected to speed development of videos by providing cloud-based collaborative editing. And 20 years ago, Apple announced the iPod in October, started selling them in November, Ten years later, they had sold the 100 millionth device, and they're still selling iPods today. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next time.